Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Here you go. Home. That's the nothing personal word of the day for October 10th, 2023. Home as in the double entendre. We're going to start by talking about baseball. And at the end of this show, in the second half, please stay around because I want to update you on what's going on in Israel and give you some thoughts that are happening inside the leagues. What the commissioner, what the owners, what people are doing, what the players are doing with what's happening in the Middle East. We're going to start with home from a baseball perspective because the National League teams are going home today. The Phillies are going back to Philadelphia, bringing the Braves in tow and the Diamondbacks are going home for the first time in this playoffs after sweeping Milwaukee on the road and sweeping Los Angeles in the first two games of their series, and they're both heading home. The mentality when you are in a five-game series and you are opening on the road, it's really the same also in a seven-game series, but not as critical. In a five-game series, you've got to win one of the first two. What we saw is two different things last night. We saw the Phillies having one game one, trying to get greedy because once you win the first, you might as well win the second. Got off to a four nothing lead and could not hold on and lost five to four. The Diamondbacks won the first game against the Dodgers and Kershaw, went out to a three nothing lead in the first inning. They were able to hold on, got greedy, and they go home up to nothing, ready to eliminate the overmatched sixth highest payroll team, Dodgers. During the course of the Braves-Phillies game, many of you were getting into my Twitter at David P. Sampson. You were going on the website, davidsampsonpodcast.com, complaining, yelling, screaming as much as you can yell through a keyboard that this is unfair. The Atlanta Braves with the greatest offense, historic offense, shut out for 14 innings. They're going to be eliminated, gone within a week, all because they had to rest. We've got to make changes. Let's let the team that wins the division choose. This was a great one that someone came to me with. I've got an idea. Let the Braves or anyone who wins the division choose whether they want the buy or they want to play an extra round and let them play the wild card round. Show me a team president or a GM who would ever agree to that. And I'm all for business. I like the idea of a couple extra home games, don't get me wrong. But there is zero chance that I am playing more games where I only need to win 11 to get a ring. I'm not changing it to 13. And I'm certainly not going to subject my team to the vagaries of a three-game wildcard round when I can go right to the division series and let teams battle it out in the wildcard and there could be upsets. I don't want any part of that. There's not one team who would ever vote for that. And you know who else wouldn't vote for that? One player. While you're hearing people complain about the rust, the layoff, when you're at the negotiating table with the union, it's never come up one time. You know what? We'd like to play more games. As a matter of fact, what comes up is we don't get paid enough to play the playoff games. If you spoke to some players at the bargaining table, they would tell you, you know what? Skip it. We don't even want to do expanded playoffs. I'm happy to go home because their salary is paid for 162. And what owners have to do is give them a bigger and bigger piece of the playoff pie. And I get it, and I'm good with it. The, your labor is working extra. They should be paid extra. 
That's what playoff shares are. Playoff shares are dependent on how far you advance. You get a higher share the more you advance. It's based on the revenue that is taken in by the sport and it's split. And players then get to split those shares however they'd like. So a team gets an amount of money that goes to the players and the players then decide who gets what. They give money to trainers, they give money to clubbies, to the traveling secretary, they can give money to whoever they want. As a matter of fact, in 2003, I asked Mike Lowell, hey, did I get any part of the share? And he laughed and he said, absolutely not, because you can actually vote for anyone to get a share. So all of the debate that is going on was already covered inside the halls of Major League Baseball. We sat around and talked about all sorts of possibilities. What do we do in order to get more playoff teams, which keeps more teams in it for longer, which helps the gate revenue, which helps ratings, which helps the broadcast partner because we're expanding playoffs, which means there's more games to show. So ESPN buys the wild card round. They pay baseball for that wild card round. And that money eventually funnels down in some sort of demented trickle down economic way to players. So we're never going back. So we're never gonna have teams give up their buy. We're never gonna go to fewer playoff teams, only more and more and more. So what has to change is how players deal with the layoff. There's some players who are fine. Some players are so routined that teams this year played intra-squad games and they brought fans in to simulate real game action. Well, having attended many simulated games in my time, we would announce that. John Doe pitched a simulated game today. There's no PA announcer. There's no guy calling hot dogs and Cracker Jacks. There's some guy in the batter's box. There's calling their own balls and strikes and you're doing three outs and then you're going to sit down and then you go back and you pitch again. It's a backfield or it's on the big league field with no one in the stands. It is hardly a simulated game. Or when hitters say, yes, he got three at bats in a simulated game. That means he was at the plate. He had a full at bat, then takes a breather and then gets another at bat. It's like when we send our big league guys down to the minor leagues, there was a time when you could just have him bat first every inning for four straight innings and say, oh, he got four at bats in this game. So you cannot match the intensity of an actual game. The Braves and what they did during the break, it didn't work. And that doesn't mean that they're gonna lose the first two at home. It doesn't mean their offense is gonna shut down. Here's why the Braves didn't score for 14 innings because of the Phillies pitching. That's it. Owners are very quick to say, like Magic Johnson did after the commanders lost that game, we've got no intensity. What that really means is we got out pitched. That's all. So I wanna put an end to this conversation about the division series format, telling you that when you win the first two on the road, you're gonna win the series you're gonna read that it's only 88% of the time, but the Diamondbacks are going to beat the Dodgers and the Phillies had they held on and won that game, that series was over. Winning two on the road and going home in a five game series, you are moving on. When we gave you the scouting report for the Diamondbacks and Dodgers, we were pretty clear with you. We said the Diamondbacks have better pitching, you should pick them and we did pick the Diamondbacks. We said Kershaw is not Kershaw. And we said, all you gotta do is keep Betts or Freeman down. One of the two has to have a bad little stretch and you're good. Guess how many hits Mookie Betts has in the first two games? The light is on, zero. Freddie Freeman's batting 167. That's it. The Dodgers are done and they're gonna be plenty despondent. We had the Braves beating the Phillies, and we won that as our pick of the day. We had the Raiders beating the Packers. We won that as our second pick of the day. So we're 141 and 143. We're gonna go with two picks tonight. There are two games 
and I want it, we're going to talk more later when we talk about what's going on in Israel. We're going to talk about the Orioles game and who's starting the pitcher is for the Orioles. Unfortunately, my pick is the Rangers. Evaldi's going, Texas is playing at home. That series is going to come to an end tonight. Then we've got game three in a 1-1 series. So here's what's going on with the Astros and Twins. It's a best two out of three. It's the wild card round. But instead of the Twins getting all the games at home, they get the first two games at home and the last one on the road. We actually had meetings in baseball when you're talking about formats, when we were talking about expanding the wild card and getting rid of the one game wild card round. When it became three games, one of the thoughts was give the team with the better record the choice. Do they want game three at home or do they want games one and two at home? Eventually settled on the better record gets all three at home as a way to incentivize teams to win, trying to appease the union to say, hey, owners are going to spend on players. They don't want to be average. They'd rather play the first round if they have to with all games at home. But what would you choose in a best two out of three if the choice were not three at home? The choice was either one and two at home or three at home. For me, it's very easy. I would choose one and two at home. Every baseball person I've ever worked with thought the same thing. So the Minnesota Twins, in theory, have the advantage in this three-game series because that's what it is. They have games one and two at home. Except tonight, Sonny Gray is going against Christian Javier, and I'm taking the Astros, which completely changes the entire series. He gives the advantage to the Astros, who I picked to win the pennant. Therefore, they got to win game three. So we're going with the Rangers and the Astros as my picks of the day. Before we go to break, I want to cover something that happened in football this weekend. We've touched on it before, but it's getting real. We may have called it the turf wars, or you may call it the turf wars. I call it money. And the reason I call it money is that when the NFL decides that they want to play games in London, it's for no other reason than to try to grab the international market, starting with London, using that as your hub and spoke. You can expand to Germany, you can expand to France, you can expand everywhere, but you start in London. London is to the NFL as Memphis is to Federal Express, now called FedEx. I don't know why I just said Federal Express. Let me do that in case you clip that, Coca. 4869. London is the NFL's spoke, the center of its international play, the way Memphis is the center of FedEx. Everything comes out of London. There's a new stadium in London. Coca's favorite team is Tottenham, the Hotspurs. I think you went to a game there. I think I went to a game there. And Tottenham did something to become the only NFL-ready stadium in London, in the EPL. That's why they keep getting games. Do you know that they play on turf? Not Tottenham, the NFL. So the NFL agreed that Tottenham was going to be an NFL-ready stadium, knowing that it wasn't going to be a grass stadium. Because what Tottenham does is they get rid of the grass, they roll it out, and they lay turf down when the NFL comes. And we know how players feel about turf because they don't like it, because they keep getting hurt. If you've ever played on turf before, I played and shagged fly balls and certainly not professionally, but as a team executive vice president on the artificial turf at Olympic Stadium, it really is like concrete. And I would spend a lot of time talking to Andre Dawson about it when I worked with him in Florida and as he was getting knee replacements and hip replacements and everything else he got, he would tell me stories about what it meant to his body to play on turf and the type of injuries and the type of wear and tear. Well, you had the Jacksonville Jaguars play two games in a row in London. Then you had the Bills fly week two to play the Jaguars. They lose. 
The advantage definitely goes to Jacksonville because they got to adjust to the time zone. They got to stay in London for two weeks. By the way, side note, Coco, we didn't say we'd cover this, but a quick side note. International expansion that we've talked about on the sporting class and a little bit on, on this show and with Dan, you're not gonna expand with one team. You have to expand with at least two teams because you can't have a team go there for just a week. You want a team to go there for two weeks to settle in, to adjust to the time zone. And the advantage will always be to the road team in the second week, if they stay there two weeks, or to the home team in the first week playing against a team who just got there if the home team's been there for two weeks. You saw it with Jacksonville and what they did to Buffalo. The story of that game is that Buffalo had turf injuries, players angry and unhappy with the turf, but unwilling to call out the NFL. If any player was going to do it, I would have assumed it was gonna be Stefan Diggs. But instead, when asked about the turf, he actually paused for like seven seconds and he said it was all right, that's all I'm gonna say. And he said, I'll play in whatever surface the NFL tells me to. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement of what the NFL's plan is. But here's the solution. And people seem to forget this. Every international game, as well as international expansion, but everything that happens internationally in the NFL and in Major League Baseball, it's all bargained with the players. The players approve it in advance. It is not sprung upon them. Oh my God, I can't believe it. We're going to London. It is all part of the agreement. If players actually want to focus on grass versus turf because they believe that their careers will be extended or they will make more money or be injured less, they can fight for that in the agreement. Owners always want to prevent injuries. But in baseball, it is a far bigger deal than in football. Having spoken to owners in the NFL, it is their view more often than not that injuries are far more acceptable, whether it's turf injuries, whether it's contact injuries, not saying that they approve of concussions, but <laughs> it took quite a bit to acknowledge CTE, like a lawsuit, but they don't spend time, they look at equipment and things like that, and they change rules and call penalties and protect the quarterback. They're not trying to protect the quarterback from being injured because they care so much about the player. They care so much about the position because the position's irreplaceable for the most part, unless you're Jeff Hostetler or Nick Foles or Tom Brady. In baseball, it is a much bigger deal. Owners focus on it incessantly trying to stop injuries from happening because of the amount of money, guaranteed money, that is paid to Major League Baseball players who get hurt. In the NFL, you know very well the guarantees are lower and you can debate whether or not you agree, but when the guarantees are lower, that makes owners definitionally care less, not saying they could care less, they just do care less about injuries. If every contract were guaranteed and every long contract, long-term contract was fully guaranteed in the NFL, the owners would take a far different view of the injuries that are happening. Because in baseball, studies are commissioned, we look at training, we look at field conditions, and you, you realize that the players have a vested interest as well as owners. So I am very interested in how this turf war is going to end in the NFL but it will not end until players decide that they want to stand up. Will they, won't they? I guess we'll wait and see. Okay, I think what we're gonna do now, not I think, we're in charge, this is what we're doing now. We're gonna take a break. When I come back, we're gonna review a movie that I purposefully watched yesterday, and you'll know why when I review it, it's called Golda. And then I'm gonna talk about through a question that I got, and I've gotten so many people asking me similar questions, through a question I got from one of you asking me for an explanation and an understanding and how leagues are dealing with it and my view of what's happening in Israel. And we'll do that right after the break. 
Have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Matthew Coke and I work every day, Monday to Friday. We're live at 8 a.m. on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing. Thank you for your loyalty, your time. Thank you for your interest and trust that we will deal with subjects that many people don't want to deal with. Many people are scared to deal with. We're not scared because we are emboldened by your loyalty. So many of you wanted to know why I had not talked about what happened in Israel yesterday. And I answered some of your questions on, I answered some of your emails, some of your DMs. But for those who I didn't answer, this is my answer. I wanted to cover it yesterday. I wasn't ready. I wanted to spend time thinking about where I stood, trying to understand read as much as I could, talk to as many people, including people in Israel, talk to as many Jews, non-Jews, people who have been involved dealing with the Middle East conflict, the Middle East peace process, reading as much as I can, thinking as much as I can, because I take this very seriously. And maybe that's why the show is successful, but we don't just come on here. We may look unprepared to you because we have no script because I have to count in or because I make mistakes, but we prepare a hell of a lot to look as unprepared as you may think we are. There was a movie that I was going to watch when it came out and for whatever reason, God only knows, I hadn't gotten to it yet. And I realized that I wanted to watch it yesterday as I was preparing to talk about the war in Israel today. It's a movie starring Helen Mirren called Golda. Golda Meir was the prime minister for five years in Israel, the first female leader of a, of a uh, country that I can recall. She was a, she was actually grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I was born. And the movie's about a war that happened called the Yom Kippur War. Yom Kippur is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar. Yom Kippur is the day when you atone for your sins. It's when you pray. It's when you think about everything that you've done wrong, all the people that you have wronged, and you pray to God for forgiveness. It's a fast day. It's a day of prayer, a day of atonement. And about 50 years ago, it was a day of war. And it wasn't one day, it was three weeks. There were American doctors, including my late father-in-law, who moved his family to Israel to be helpful as a doctor for all of the wounded. It was a war between soldiers, armies. There were a lot of similarities in the Yom Kippur War and what happened this past weekend in Israel, which we're gonna talk about. 
The movie itself that I'm going to review, I'm going to say to you that Lee Schreiber, who plays Henry Kissinger, and Helen Mirren, who plays Golda Meir, gave exemplary performances. The movie itself is only mediocre, and I wanted it to be better. It is informative, but not dispositive. If you want to learn more about the history of Israel, if you want to learn more about how the Israeli government has worked, how Mossad works, which is their version of the CIA, if you will, there are better movies, and I'm committed to getting you a list of those movies. I did not prepare it for today because I did not have time to do it right. But there are movies, there are books, there are shows. Golda is just a great performance about a very strong woman who was forced to be in a position to defend her decision, both to go to war and whether or not she was ready and did she go all in. When you are the leader of a country, it doesn't matter if you're far right, far left, if you're in the center, when you are faced with a war or with the proposition of a war, there are safeguards put in place in the US. Presidents don't go to war. You have to declare war and Congress, that's the whole purpose of the branches of government, has to, for all intents and purposes, approve that you are in a war by name, which is why when you don't get congressional approval, you'll hear things called a conflict. But when you are deciding whether to put lives at risk. There are geopolitical issues that you deal with. There are human issues that you deal with. But there's one thing that is constant. In a world or in a country where it is not mandatory to be called up into the armed forces, you are dealing with people who have made a choice that this is how they want to defend their country. We can debate however long you want to that the armed forces are made up of a certain demographic, that there are certain people who are incentivized to be in the armed forces, so it is not as voluntary as one would say. We can talk about when it wasn't voluntary and people were drafted to serve a war in Vietnam and what the results were. We can talk about people avoiding the draft by moving to Canada or claiming a sickness. We can talk about the way our country deals with veterans or all countries deal with veterans. But at the end of the day, for purposes of this discussion, I want to believe and say that at armed forces, are people who are choosing to be there. Ironically, in Israel, you do not have a choice. Every citizen in Israel serves in the army, every one of them. And after you're done serving, you're in the reserves. There is a huge fight that happens in Israel because the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox, and now we're talking religion, not culture, not country. The ultra-Orthodox in Judaism, there's Orthodox, there's conservative, and there is reformed. I'm conservative. Orthodox Jews would basically consider me to be not Jewish, by the way. In Israel, part of the problem before this weekend that exists in that country other than the conflict with its neighbors and the living in constant fear of being attacked and actually being attacked is that the far right, the ultra-Orthodox, they don't serve in the army, they don't act in the reserve, and they don't work and help the economy, they study Torah all day. And I'm gonna get criticized by my Orthodox friends, but that's the actual argument that's happening right now in Israel prior to this weekend. But the assumption that people serve, they're in the army. A war to me is when an army fights an army, soldiers fighting soldiers. We can debate however you want to, whether war is right, who is justified in starting a war. Most wars are about land, religion, money, 
opportunity. Happy to debate all of it. When you kill civilians and it is a war of soldiers against unarmed, untrained, and unexpecting civilians, I'm not calling that a war. I'm calling that terrorism. So given that as a background, let's talk about what is existing in Israel today. You may read things in the paper about Israel, about Palestine, about the West Bank, about the Gaza Strip. And some people may even think Gaza Strip and West Bank are the same thing. Some people may think that Palestine, where is Palestine? Who are the Palestinians? Who's fighting who? I thought it was Lebanon fighting, or is it Syria, or is it Iraq, is it Iran? I thought everyone wants to fight with the, with the Israelis. Everyone wants to get rid of Israel. Let's limit this conversation to Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization that controls the Gaza Strip, which is literally a strip of land in Israel. Hamas was elected to lead the Gaza Strip, Gaza, to control Gaza, all the way back in 2006. And there have been no elections since then. The reason why there have been no elections, Hamas would win any election. Hamas rules that area through bullying tactics that are terrorism. Hamas has one goal, and this is where it gets tricky because Jews have very different views. Some people who are Jewish believe that Israel should be its own state and Palestinians and everybody else should get out. Some Jews believe there should be a Palestinian state and an Israeli state because it is a very holy land. Jerusalem is the holiest of holies for Christians, Muslims, and Jewish people. The same place. Some Jewish people think two states, one state. Hamas, they believe in one thing. They want to kill Jews. That's it. They are not pro-Palestinian state. They're not anti-Palestinian state. They're not hopeful for a Palestinian state. They take any humanitarian aid that is given to people in Gaza, on the, living in the Gaza Strip, and they use it to kill Jews. That is not debatable. We can go back and we can talk about how Hamas started, where their power comes from, who's funding them, and there's talk going on nonstop, and it's gonna continue on for the next number of months, what Iran's involvement was, whether or not Iran got involved in this because they wanted to get in the way of possible peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia and why that would not benefit Iran. I told you when I was just in Israel, in the very places where there are people dying today, and I was there, my son studied there this summer in Tel Aviv, where they are in bomb shelters waiting to make sure that the Iron Dome works. It is impossible for anyone to believe, no matter what your view is about Palestine, about land, about peace, about states, about religion, I need to understand how anyone believes that terrorism against civilians, children, elderly, rape, murder, kidnapping, how that is the plan, how that is the way to forward your agenda. That's not a war. That's not starting a war. What Hamas did was not to start a war. Hamas did what Al-Qaeda did to America. Don't forget how you felt after 9-11.
when those twin towers fell, you knew that somebody was doing something for the sole purpose of killing Americans, period. And your view was, as was everybody's, Democrat or Republican, everyone united and said, we will kill those people who want to kill us. We will do whatever we have to do to make sure that we feel safe at home. The concept of not feeling safe at home is not foreign to everybody in America, but it is foreign to way more people here than it is in Israel. The reality of bomb shelters, the reality of sirens going off, the reality of missiles coming both from the North Lebanon, from the South, from Syria, where I ran, I went to the border. I saw the fact that Israel still is bombing once a week, but what they're bombing is not Syria. They're bombing what Iran is doing in Syria, which is getting all its weapons there so they can bomb Israel. The people who live in constant fear, should that be the default position? When you are a young person going to a music festival, is it your opinion that one of the concerns should be that armed gunmen will hang glide out of the sky like it's a movie and come kill you and rape you? There was a music festival in Austin this past weekend, Austin City Limits. Do you remember what happened in Vegas during the music festival when there was a solo shooter? The outrage, the fear that we all have and had, the debate that we have about guns. That's not the debate in Israel. Everyone has guns. The debate is safety, security, and when you should be expected to feel safe or not. There are marked areas where you do not go. Yes, it's true. We don't go as Jewish people into Gaza and they don't from Gaza go into Israel. It is a closed border is one way to look at it. And I absolutely understand that there are people whose view is that Israel had this coming because of the treatment of people in Gaza. Here's the problem with that argument. Israel, who had what coming? You're telling me that terrorist attacks on innocent women, children, and the elderly, that is who had it coming for the conditions in Gaza? There is no civilization where those two facts live side by side. No matter what is going on geopolitically, no matter what side of that fence you are on, what side of that wall you are on, there is one rule that always must be followed. We will not ever go after civilians to say nothing of women, children, and the elderly. For whatever reason, there are people who don't get that. It's been very frustrating to get a call from my son up at Yale to tell me about all the pro-Palestinian rallies that are going on on campus. Very frustrating to hear and read a letter written up at Harvard where Coca can argue all he wants that no one much cares other than me about what happens at Harvard and Yale. But it's a major thing when the Harvard-Palestine solidarity groups do a joint statement saying that Israel is entirely responsible for the unfolding violence. And it's signed by at least 30 student groups. And I would stand on the top of the mountain to argue free speech, freedom of expression, but I demand accountability. I demand knowledge and context. You can't say that Israel and its regime is entirely responsible for the violence when the violence was started by Hamas. 
And by the way, Hamas doesn't give a damn about anyone in any of those Palestine solidarity groups, not one. Yet, the result of these terrorist attacks in Israel has been an uptick and true fear for me and many others in America of the rising level of anti-Semitism, of people who believe that if you're Jewish, whatever you do for a living, that you are responsible for the plight of those who are fighting for one thing or another in the Middle East, and they wanna manifest their hatred of Jews because it's now normalized where you can be anti-Semitic. We've spent time on this show discussing time and time again, plenty of time about racial issues, about Asian hate, about Black Lives Matter, about how tolerance is all we've ever asked for. You can't tell me that in Israel that there is not tolerance of Christianity or Muslims. There's tremendous tolerance of Palestinians. There's tremendous tolerance. There's no tolerance for the senseless killing and the terrorism. And here in the United States, we have to figure out what is our position? We look to our leaders. We look to the president. We look to former presidents. What are they saying? What are they thinking? In sports, you look to the leagues. Every one of the leagues has released a statement about what happened over the weekend. It started with the NBA. After the NBA released its statement, the NFL released their statement. And then Major League Baseball released its statement. I would like to point out to you that all the statements contained the words mourns and condemns. The NFL mourns the loss of innocent lives in Israel and strongly condemns all forms of terrorism. The NBA and the NBA Players Association mourn the horrific loss of life in Israel and condemn these acts of terrorism. Major League Baseball is horrified by the acts of terrorism and we mourn for all those who lost loved ones and pray for the wounded and their caretakers, etc. And then we condemn these acts of hatred and violence. These statements are put together by the PR teams within the leagues. The commissioner signs off after speaking to many of his owners, especially the Jewish ones. Every time this has come up, Jewish owners are spoken to, they're read the statement, they are asked what their view is of the statement. Other non-Jewish owners also step in. It is a collective statement. However, teams also feel they want to release statements. I draw your attention to the Philadelphia 76ers statement. They said, we stand with the people of Israel and join them in mourning the hundreds of innocent lives lost to terrorism at the hands of Hamas. Hashtag stand with Israel. That is a perfectly reasonable, quick statement that can be attached to NBA statement. On a side note, very noticeable that the NBA players did the statement with the NBA owners. The NFL players did not, Major League Baseball players did not. If I'm the commissioner of those leagues, I demand the Players Association to be associated with the statements. And if the Players Association doesn't wanna be, for whatever reason, they ought to be doing their own statement. And to date, to this minute, we're live, I have not seen MLBPA under Tony Clark release a statement. Maybe Scott is working on one. So the Sixers released a statement and one of their beat writers quote tweeted it and said, this post sucks. Solidarity with Palestine always. And 30 minutes later, Jackson Frank was fired. You're not gonna hear much talk about this anywhere else, but I'm gonna talk about it. 
I want to tell you why I would have fired Jackson Frank, and it's not for the reason that you think. Yes, Coca, I am taking a chance here, but I want to, I've always been honest with our audience, and I'm doing it right now. You and I talked about this, and you agree with me. Jackson Frank should have been fired for saying this post sucks. You can't work for a company and have a company take a stance and you publicly take the opposite stance. I always go back to Pepsi and Coke. You can't work for Coke and then do a post saying how much you hate Coke and you love Pepsi. There are legitimate business reasons for Jackson Frank to have been terminated. Supporting Palestine is not the reason in my mind. When he tweeted that solidarity with Palestine always, is he saying that it's solidarity with the terrorists of Hamas or with the Palestinian people, most of whom don't even realize that they're not benefiting a lick from Hamas and that Hamas doesn't care about them? Whatever Jackson Frank had in his head, he can be protected by free speech, but he can't be protected from going against what a company would say. Now, there are times in my life that I have seen people say things that are not agreed to or shared by their bosses. I wanna read you something it's a disclaimer that I memorized when I was a child watching the sports reporters. I don't know if you remember that show. The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent. That used to be the disclaimer that would be used when someone said something on your network that you may not agree with. It seems that these days, there is no room for discourse. There is no room for disagreement. If you have a view that is counter what your bosses think or what your bosses think you should think and you express it, you have a good chance of losing your job. I'm not convinced that's the right way. It certainly isn't helping. Thoughtful discourse informed discourse, understanding what's happening, whether it's geopolitically, whether it is racially, whether it is internally, domestically, whatever the situation is, doesn't it make more sense that all of us get educated, that all of us learn as much as we can and you're not learning it all from me? You can't learn it from one person. I don't know everything about the situation, there are people who do this for a living for a half a century who don't know everything about the situation in the Middle East. It's not that Jared Kushner can go there and all of a sudden manufacture peace. It is the most delicate balance that is often imbalanced. But the one thing that we know for sure is that heading toward balance doesn't come with terrorist activity. It doesn't come with senseless death. It doesn't come with the retaliation that Israel has every right to do, will do, and must do. We didn't take a step forward in the Middle East peace process. We took 10 steps back because Israel had no choice but to declare war on Gaza to potentially do a ground war where civilians are dying. And that is not the path to any peace. Where do we go? What do leagues do? Why do some people talk about it and some people not? Because some people are scared to even think about a situation they don't fully understand and they don't want to take the time to get educated about it. And think about that, because that permeates our entire society here, where there are domestic issues, there are economic issues, there are real issues. Not that what's going on in the Middle East is not, 
but real issues that actually impact everybody's life here. And I'm not naive enough to tell you that what's happening in Hamas impacts everyone's life here, just as when there's genocide in Rwanda, when there's apartheid in South Africa, I can be as involved or understanding as I want, and I can tell you that my everyday life may or may not be affected by those actions, and those actions are just as horrific. But what stops us from learning, is it because we don't care? We don't have the bandwidth? We don't want to? Or worse, that we're scared to take a position for fear of any ramification from a business standpoint, from a personal standpoint, We'd rather put our heads in the sand and be okay with being ignorant. I'm not okay with being ignorant. I'm not okay with anyone being intolerant. And I've been really consistent about that. It's not just that my thoughts and prayers are with everyone in Israel, with the people who have lost loved ones who went to a music festival for the people everywhere. And I don't mean just in Gaza or in Israel, but I mean in the inner cities in America, everywhere around the world where senseless acts of violence and terrorism occur. What has it gotten us? What will it get us? It's never been shown to me, proven to me, or no one's been able to make me understand how anything gets furthered by these acts. Make no mistake, if you take one thing away from today's show, what happened in Israel over the weekend was a terrorist organization senselessly killing innocent children, women, elderly, taking hostages, not for the benefit of anyone, only to kill Jewish people. That's not business, that's only personal. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.